All right. I gave out, real quick before we pray and get started, I gave out something at the top says Deuteronomy 04. And so do you have a copy of that? And if not, let me know so I can get you one. Okay, we'll start. Whoa, okay. So here are these. And I had to go make copies, but I wasn't for sure how to do it properly. Everybody, we hand that to my wife, please? Thank you. I got you, baby. Take care. Yeah, there you go. And so on some of these, you're going to have a full page of paper. Uh, the reason is, is because it's the front and back of that. You need one? There you go. It's the front and back of the, the smaller half sheet is what it is. I just needed to go make more copies because I wasn't for sure if everybody had it or not. And here's the thing. Let's, let's, let's tell tales on people, okay? Are you ready for this? Pete's not here today. And Tom is not here today. And, oh, I'm sorry. And they both, and they both teach the other Sunday school class. So we are the other besides ours. I'm not saying like the lesser. That's not the idea. But, but we have the privilege today of having the Prophecy Bible Study class hanging out with us today for Deuteronomy of all things. So that's good. Hopefully it won't be too uh, messed up. Anybody? I got two more. I got two more. So is that it? Everybody good? Oh, right here. Okay, great. Excellent. Man, look how the Lord works with that. Good deal. Everybody's got it. Now, if you wouldn't mind, if I could have a volunteer, you'd probably get more treasure in heaven for this. But if you could help me out, this would be great because everybody needs to get one of these. Nobody wants more treasure in heaven? Is that what we're doing? Okay, just making sure. Making sure. There we go. Okay, everybody gets one of these. And it's kind of funny because you actually might not need your Bibles today. I know that sounds weird, but it's because we have all the scripture on here. Now, this is 11 by 17 paper. Yeah, make sure they're not sticking together. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a placemat you can take home. After you're done with your work, laminate it. This is the first homework assignment where you need an eight-ply fold. You guys want one for Okay. There you go. We got extras, Scott. A couple extras here. Thank you, sir. All right. Do you need one, Eli? Got one. There we go. There we go. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. There we go. Mitch, do you need one? Okay. You want Roxanne? There you are. Thank you, everybody, for being patient. I really appreciate that. Get this information. Now, before we get started, let's absolutely 100% pray. Does anybody, does anybody? Okay, excellent. Hey, look at that. Exact number that we needed again. Hey, man. Hey, man. All right. Amen. Amen. Exactly. All right. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us and just pray that today's study will be beneficial, that you would uh, show us a lot about the behind the scenes things that happen in your word and, and how even down to the letter, it has been perfectly put together. We're, we're grateful, God, to be uh, possessors of uh, the revelation of your word. And please bless our studies in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I will tell you this, if this is something that you find interesting, this is a fraction part of what's to expect in the hermeneutics course, okay? So when we talk about doing the hermeneutics class, it's going to start in September of 2018. What I'm getting ready to show you is going to be a portion of what it is to go through and study the text. We've been in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is known as the layman's version of the law. And in doing so, Moses is reiterating to the children of Israel before they cross over into the promised land and take possession of Canaan uh, with God, Yahweh, the warrior, fighting on their behalf. All they have to do is obey, do what he says. Everything's going to be great. Follow, follow his word. And that's the whole idea that we've constantly been seeing so far. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Follow him. Be courageous. He's your God. He can do it. Here are the past recollections of his 
uh, uh, history with you and how he has brought victory in every time, you can trust God no matter what. I mean, that's just a big overarching thing. And in chapter four, we have the shift that goes on to where it's no longer recounting necessarily things that have happened in the past, but it's exhorting the people to obedience. Now, here's the problem. How many people know of a law that's on the law books of Portage or Wisconsin at large or the United States of America that you just don't like? You can't sneeze in public. Where's that on the record books at? Okay. Okay. Roxanne? You have to pay taxes. Romans chapter 13. Jerry. You can't feed the pigs south of 10th Street. The pigeons. South of 10th Street. Okay. Okay. Sounds like a car wash market to me. Where we used to live in Evansville, Indiana, there was actually a law that wasn't enforced, but it was on the books. You can't eat cheeseburgers on Sunday. Yeah, blasphemy. I mean, come on. That's terrible. Taylor. You can't have torches on the road. Tell us about this desire to have torches. <laughs> There's a road. I got to get a torch. I mean, is that, is that so? Why, do you know why that is? You know the history behind it? Okay. That'd be good to ask. We would ask Pete if he was here since he's law enforcement. Okay. You can't advertise for your yard sale? Not on public property. Okay. Yeah. You can advertise, but not where people can see it. It's not going to be a good sale. Okay, good. So we got, we got some ideas. What's that? Okay. Okay, so after you vote, you got to have your signs down the next day. Okay, so we get this idea. When you think of the law of God, isn't there automatically just the kind of this, uh, we're just not too comfortable with it, are we? An amazing thing is, is that what Moses has been led to do by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to structure things in such a way as to where they communicate more emphatically to the reader. Now, Pastor Steve pulled this from the library so I could look through it. If you're looking for a cure for insomnia, this is an incredible book, okay? Actually, if you're really into the structure of the text of Scripture, the literary structure of the Old Testament, and it talks about all of these things, all of them. Uh, it's very interesting to go through and look at. If you ever want to look at a copy, I'm actually done with it because I wanted to browse it just for this particular lesson. But if you have this paper, or I gave it to you in long form with the same stuff, it says Deuteronomy 4 at the top. I want to read through these two definitions. An inclusio. Now let's do this just because it's a lot of fun. I'm going to say it, you say it. Inclusio. inclusio. There we go. It's excellent. Notice it's not an inclusion. That's not the idea. It's an inclusio. And here it is. An inclusio is a literary device that marks off a section of material by putting bookends at the beginning and end. This literary device alerts the reader to look at everything between the two similar or identical, in this case, statements as a single unit of thought. Now, the reason why I pulled this is because Rodmacher and Derrick Derrickson, I actually trust their scholarship a lot more than a lot of people. But if you notice the footnote, it's taken from a book called The Disciple Maker, What Matters Most to Jesus, and it is a commentary on John chapters 13 through 17. So the reason why they're introducing this, notice, uh, did I have a page? I didn't have a page on there. But notice the reason why they introduced this in there is because John, John loves inclusios. He loves to give you this idea or this repetitious word, and he will have a whole series of things that go on, and then he will lock it right up at the end with another one there. And when he does that, you know that everything that he is talking about there is a unit of thought. Now, real quick, in English, how do we structure together a unit of thought before we move on to the next one? 
Very simple, by a paragraph. Notice that this is a completely different way that they're thinking about how do I communicate the whole of the sum to these people. It's, a, it's an inclusio is the idea. Now notice, normally, an inclusio marks off a section of material within a larger unit, such as those in the Sermon on the Mount. There, Jesus used an inclusio to mark off the Beatitudes with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And notice it occurs both in chapter 5, verse 3, and chapter 5, verse 10. Now, you will know everything from verses 3 to 10 make up the entire extent of the Beatitudes. They're all one unit to be taken as a whole, okay? Not Robert Schuller, the be happy attitudes. That's not what we're dealing with, okay? If you have that book, do everyone a favor and burn it. Uh, but notice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and more extensive discussion of the practice of the letter of the law as opposed to the spirit of the law with the law and prophets. In other words, from Matthew 17 to chapter 7, verse, sorry, 517 to 712. In other words, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, you will find a commonality of phrase or word or subject that is used and you follow it all the way to chapter 7, verse 12. So we're talking about a large chunk of scripture. That whole thing serves as bookends to a major thought that's going on. And if that wasn't fun enough, okay, if we're not going to Disney World on that note, Inside of that larger inclusio are, can be smaller inclusios for other units of thought. Does that make sense? Now, why is it important to know this? Because you start to learn what the original author intended and what he wrote, and you can sum it up in a word or a phrase according to the inclusios. Does everybody see that? Is there any question on inclusios? These are going to, I'm so excited for hermeneutics class. These are going to be so much fun. Okay, now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Turn over to the back. Because not only do we have inclusios, but I'm going to introduce you to another word. Chiasm. Let's hear it. Chiasm. It's also known as chiasmi, which I think is more than one chiasm, or chiasmus is another way to say it with the U-S at the end. So if you ever see those three, you're dealing with the idea of a chiasm. Here's what a chiasm is. When a chiasm is used by an author, its focus is the central point, though it may include a climaxing statement at its end as well. Chiasms are recognized by the pattern of repeated terms, concepts, or activities, often parallel, but sometimes contrastive, that progress to and from the central points. You might say, what in the world does all that mean? We're going to actually do it and show you. Ever taught somebody a new game, a new card game or a board game? Let's play through it once and you'll get how it works. That's what we're going to do, okay? But the idea is, is you are looking for words that match up, phrases that match up. You are looking for things that are synonymous and things that are opposites. You're looking for parallelisms, essentially, is what's going on when you're reading through the text. Anybody bored? Okay, praise the Lord. So notice, still... That being said, one must caution against finding chiasms where they do not exist, nor extending them beyond that which the author intends. Larger chiasms would include such works as the Pentateuch. Did you realize that the first five books of the Bible are a chiasm? Learn something new today. When they ask that question on Jeopardy and you're yelling at the TV, you've got the answer now, right? <laughs> Lamentations and Matthew's Gospel. Okay. So if you notice underneath that, list the dominant themes found in chapters 3, verse 26 through 4, 21. So here's what we're going to do. I've got this out here on a piece of paper. Notice I've got it up for you. I'm asking you to pull out your piece and to look at. And just to show you, I don't know if you can see it here, but I'll, I'll try to show you here. That's what I've done as far as a chiasm so far and marking it up. And that's what we're going to work on for probably the next two to three weeks so that we understand how to do this, so that it becomes something that you're actually looking for when you're studying the Bible. You'll start to, you'll start to get a trained eye for it. Now, now, pause for a second. This is why when I talk about hermeneutics, is the art and science of Bible interpretation. The reason why it's a science is because there are principles that you have to follow. The reason why it's an art is because you have to be trained to apply them skillfully. They can't just be like, well, this is what the text means to me. Jesus doesn't care what the text means to you. He never did. He cares about what it meant when he gave it to Moses at that time so that it communicated a point so that we would then be able to understand what was meant and not misrepresent God. That is so important to understand. 
So when we're looking through here, the first thing that I'm asking you is, what are the dominant themes in this section? Why do we start here? Look at the top of your paper, verse 26. And if you want to mark it up there, chapter 3, just so we're not losing it. Deuteronomy 3, you can do that. I didn't put that on the paper. I want to try to get it all on here. In fact, when I hit print and it came out in a big 11 by 17 form, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't know we had paper that big in the copier, and I just went crazy with it. I thought it was great. So chapter 3, verse 26, look at it. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. What's the matter, man? Oh, you need more big papers? There you go. You're good. And I'll print more. I'll print more. That's the last one we got. I'm sorry. Notice I'll print more. I won't have Mary print more. I'll print more. Yeah, what are you even doing with one of those? Give that back. (laughs) Are you sure? I don't mind to get you one. I don't mind to get you one. Who needed one? Who wanted one? Awesome. That's good. There you go, Chris. Excellent. No, it's good. So notice the first, the first verse that we're dealing with, verse 26, the Lord was angry with me on your account. Everybody look down at chapter 4, the very last verse, verse 21. Everybody see that? Now the Lord was angry with me on your account. Does everybody see it? Okay, notice, was angry with me on your account and swore that I would not cross the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. The reason why I put it on here is because I want to automatically take the key at, or sorry, the inclusio and pull it out of the text for you and get it separated so that's all we're dealing with. We're just dealing with the structure of the text. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Come up with a system, however you want to. You don't have to follow what I do, but something to where when you're looking at the Scripture and you're marking the Scripture, you get it. Something that I would do in this situation is I would probably do like brackets, right? Now, the Lord was angry with me on your account. If you want to circle it, however you want to do it, I'm just going to put little brackets there. Can you see that down there? Is that pretty clear? Okay, I haven't used this thing in so long. There we go. Come on, focus up, y'all. There we go. Okay. So now the Lord was angry with me on your account. I'm going to mark 421, and I'm going to mark 326 with brackets because I'm finding the bookends of how I know what I'm looking for. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. Now, here's an interesting thing. What we want to do is we don't just want to say, ha, ha. I've I've got the bookends. I'm good to go. No, 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 no. Stop for a second. Let's read the rest of each verse and make sure there's nothing else that parallels up. If it does, that's great. If it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that we still have an inclusio here. Does that make sense? So let's read it. Verse 26 up at the top. The Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. Now let's skip down to 21. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and swore that I would not cross the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now are they both talking about the same event? They are. That's good enough for us. And the idea is, is what? What event are they talking about in history? Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock as the Lord told him. And remember, why was that such a horrible sin? Because the first time they came across the rock and the people needed water, Yahweh said, strike the rock and it'll bring it forth. That was a representation of Christ. When he comes the first time, he will be struck down, but he will provide life-giving water, or the water of life, essentially, for everyone who wants to partake of it. The second time he comes... He won't be struck down, will he? No. In fact, we're told in the Bible that people will call out to the Lord for salvation is the idea. By Moses being angry, letting his emotions get the best of him, and striking out against the rock the second time, he messed up the type that God was trying to set in Scripture. Does everybody see that? Okay, good. So now, next question we have to ask ourselves is, verse 27, what are we dealing with there? Verse 27, Go up to, well, real quick, underneath your list of do, list the dominant themes found in this passage, the first thing you want to put down is, is 
Yahweh will not let Moses into the promised land. That's the big, that's, that's the big idea that bookends this whole thing. And we're going to read this whole passage and ask ourselves, what are the major themes that we see here? And write those down on our, on our uh, piece of paper underneath where it says chiasm. So does everybody see that? Yahweh will not let Moses into the promised land. Remember, he's the last one to die before they can cross over and begin fighting. So look at, let's read 27. We'll read until we come to, to maybe an end spot, probably the end of 29. See what we come up with. So go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go across at the head of this people, and he will give them as an inheritance the land which you will see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Now, what is the main thing going on here? In these four verses that we have, 26 through 29, what's the main point that, that they're getting across to Moses? What's that? Directions on what to do. Notice, Moses can go up and he can look and he can see the land, but he's not going into the land. Instead, he is supposed to encourage and, and get him ready to be put into charge. Joshua is the idea that it's moving forward. So you might want to put something maybe out here to the side, maybe out in this area here, um, just to, to sum it up. A changing of the guard. Good job changing of the guard just to sum up what's going on here and you might want to mark it okay parenthesis 3 26 through 29 just so we know the units of thought off to the right the reason why you don't want to write that on the left is because i'm going to show you when we get to the chiasm part how you need to mark the left hand side so that it all makes sense everybody got that so off to the right hand side oh no wonder there it is a changing of the guard, chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. So now let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. Your eyes have seen. Somebody's car? Okay. Um, your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Pure. For all the men who follow Baal Pure, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. Remember that? Phineas brought the, brought the spear and killed those two people in the middle, and, and the, the Lord's wrath was, okay, if you didn't read that, you need to check that out and read that, okay? It's pretty crazy. But notice he brings their mind back to that. He says here, verse 4, But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you the statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should go do thus in the land where you're entering to possess it. Does anything know, anybody notice anything interesting from verses 1 through 6? Number one, what was the main point that was communicated there? Okay, taking possession of the land's part of it, but it's probably not the main point. That's what they're going for. Listen to the statutes and judgments. Notice that. So over here, to this side, I'm going to write it. Listen to the statutes and judgments, and I'm going to put four, one, through five. Chapter four, verses one through five. Now, does anybody notice anything else interesting about verses one through five? There's something waiting for you. Okay, Lord your God, Lord my God, okay? That, that's significant. You may want to mark it. I don't know that, I think the reason would be is because the Lord your God, he's, he's extolling Yahweh as the sovereign, of course. But when he says the Lord my God there in verse 5, it's the idea that he has been given the statutes and judgments in order to communicate, so he has that personal responsibility. Yes, but there's something else. Listen in here. What about it? Okay, what do you, where do you find that at? 
Okay, notice that. Uh, you mean five? Uh, no, no. One, six. We're not two, six yet. <sighs> Come on, guys. One through five, you guys are missing something. What is it? Okay, notice we have the idea of taught, right? Notice, verse one, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments. Verse five, see, I have taught you what? Statutes and judgments. What do you have here right in front of you? What is it? It's an inclusio inside the inclusio. Everybody see that? So you want, yes, yes way, no way, yes way. Notice that. So you have statutes and judgments. I'm going to bracket them. Yes. Is that it right there? Yeah, sorry. So verse one, statutes and judgments. I'm sorry, I don't have a like a monitor to, to see it right here. Statutes and judgments. We're going to mark this. Notice that Israel is the subject. Notice it's the idea in verse 5 that you should do thus in the land where you're entering to possess it. What does the word possess mean? Inherit. So I'm going to write that down over here. Does that pop up? Can you see that now? There we go. I'm going to write inherit there. Well, ugh, everybody's going to get sick. We're going to have to have some motion sickness medicine for that. But notice up in verse 1, which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession. It's the idea of inheritance. You have a parallel thought here. Inheritance of the land, which the Lord is doing. Notice that land, land is very important to Yahweh. It's the basis on which he is resting his promise, the deliverance of that land. So notice I've marked those two things just in the text because I have an inclusio. Now here's the thing. If an inclusio is bookends, here's the beginning of this and here's the end of this. What is the big idea in this smaller inclusio that Moses wants you to get? What's the big idea between verses 1 and 5? Okay, obey what? Statutes and judgments. Obeying his word. Statutes and judgments. Statutes and judgments. Okay? And then, if you look at verse 2, you shall not what? Add to the word. Right? Nor take away from it. From it, it what? What's it? The word. Instead, instead of you adding to it or taking away from it, you just do what? What's it say? Keep it. Keep it. Man, is that not a message for every one of us? Don't add to God's word. Don't take away from God's word. Just keep God's word. Right? Stop trying to play around saying that we don't really have sin. Stop giving rationalizations. Well, I'm going to pray about whether or not I should help my brother in need. No, just keep the word and just do it. Right? It seems so, so simple right there. Notice, keep the commandments which the Lord has commanded you. And then verses 3 and 4, he does what? He gives you a history lesson. He gives you a reminder. Hey, remember when Ned across the street that always had the apples all the time? Remember that guy? Well, he got caught up with Baal Pure and he was messing around with those temple prostitutes and he died because of his sexual waywardness and straying from the way of the Lord because he fornicated with those people. Don't be like Ned, right? Everybody see that? A historical lesson. If you want to talk about what it looks like to keep the word, not add to it, and not take away from it, remember this incident when 24,000 people died in one day. That's what I'm talking about. So notice, command, don't add, don't take away, just keep it. History lesson. So three and four, I'm going to bracket this over here and I'm just going to write history lesson. And then he shores it up with what? Sorry, there's my history lesson right there. And then he shores it up with what in verse 5? Uh, the end of the inclusio. See, I have taught you. Now notice, verse 1, now, O Israel, what? Listen. Listen. Verse 5, I have what? Here's the thing, guys, and you know this from being parents. There needs to be a teacher. There needs to be a listener. It's real plain with Yahweh. 
We have so much going on with everybody heard your leadership conference. We're going to go to this leadership conference. You guys heard about leadership conferences? How come nobody ever has a followership conference? How can the church just be better followers of their leaders? There's a lot to be learned from that because the Bible has a lot to say about it, doesn't it? In fact, it's probably got way more to say about following than it does about leading. Very interesting. Notice, Israel needs to listen. Moses is going to teach. Now, we could belabor this for a long time and probably find more, but you're starting to get the idea. If I sit down with the text and I'm asking, Father, please illuminate it to my understanding. Help me see the connections I need to make here. It'll start to happen. Let's go to verse 6. Oh, and real quick, underneath your, underneath your little half page here that you have where it says chiasm underneath there, what are the dominant, excuse me, dominant themes? Keeping the word is a big deal. In fact, it's, it's the biggest deal going on throughout this whole thing. Keep the word, keep the word, keep the word. Look at verse 6. So what? Keeping what? Oh, man. Keep them and do them. Don't just sit on them. Don't just know them. That's important. In fact, I would say this, and this is going to be a, a very big theme in the hermeneutics class. You cannot with any confidence whatsoever say that you have the Word of God until you have applied it to your life. You can't. Because that's the whole reason why the Bible was written. It wasn't just for us to know God. It was us for, to, for us to do what God has said to do. This is why when Christians aren't evangelizing, it's an agonizing problem. It is. Why? Because we know we should. How many people in here know we should evangelize? I love it. No one. We're not under any confusion, are we? That could be something as simple as sharing a tract. Here's what it's not. This is, this is a tangent. It's not washing cars. And it's not doing all these things and building huts and things like that. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is actually speaking forth the word of God about what Jesus Christ has done about sin and calling on them to believe to be saved. That's evangelism. So like I said earlier, if you're one of those more introspective, not introspective, uh, what, am I, what am I saying? Introverted people, tracks. Tracks are the way to go. If you're an extroverted person, tracks are the way to go. You can just give them to people like this instead of like this, right? Very different deal. But sharing the gospel is so important. Why? Because if you're not doing God's word, what are you doing? You see what I'm saying? It leaves a lot of questions about where our purpose in life is. Our purpose in life is to do God's word. Know it do it. It's no different here. Keep and do them. Verse 6, for that is your what? Oh man, wisdom and your what? Understanding. Now stop for a second. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Fools despise knowledge and instruction. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of of wisdom. You can't even start being smart until you have a, a reverence of who Yahweh is. Everybody see that? No different here. Look at it. Keeping his commandments, doing his commandments, it's wisdom and it's understanding. Why? Because you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Now, I would hope and I trust in what Pastor Steve has taught here in the past. I trust that no one has a sour view of the law if you've been under his teaching. The law is not bad. Romans tells you, end of chapter 6, all of chapter 7, the law is not bad. It's our inability to keep the law that's bad. The law is the written perfection of God. And by keeping it, it cultivates a fellowship with the Creator. Do you see that? Now, are we called to keep the law? No, we're not. But are we guilty of breaking the law? Yes, we are. And it doesn't take much to be guilty of that, does it? So notice here, the culture, the lifestyle, the way that everyone conducted business and relationships Whatever it was, was to be done according to what God had set forward as the law, of which he's going to expound in detail when we get to chapter 12 of Deuteronomy in the year 2029 and get through all of that, right? Notice here, it is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear, right? And uh, well, we'll hear all these statutes and say, notice, they've heard what's going on, and now here is their response. Surely, 
This great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is Yahweh our Elohim whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments? Even your legal system is amazing is the idea. Statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today. Now stop for a second. These verses right here, six through eight. What is the big idea that we've learned here? Here's one thing I think that's important. Everybody see for that is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. Everybody see that? I want you to write under in the sight of the peoples in big letters, witness. It is a witness. This is lifestyle evangelism. This is living the word of God is what it is. It's living it. They are a witness to all the nations around them. Why? Because all the nations did not operate like this. Those nations are sacrificing their children. Those nations are fornicating with whoever or whatever they desire. These nations are worshiping gods of stone that can't move or gods of wood that can't move. It's crazy. Everybody remember uh, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And they're crying out to Baal. And what do they do to try to get his attention? Cut themselves. Which makes you think about some of the problems we have today with the way that we have cutting that goes on. In the spiritual realm, it's related to paganism. False gods. It's an idea of appeasing for some sort of relief or to be heard or an expression or a relief of numbness or something like that. It actually finds its origins in this idea of paganism. Satan is subtle. So notice, these nations are going to step back and take a look at what Israel's doing, how they're living, how their commerce is set up, how their government runs, how they worship Yahweh, how Yahweh provides to them. And one of the things they're going to say is, I can't think of any other people group around here who has a God so near to them as Yahweh is to you. What sets Yahweh apart from any other God that would try to set themselves up? His intimacy with people. Isn't that crazy? God wants to be by your side and in your face all the time. Man, it hurts when he is, doesn't it? You start to see your sin huge. But man, you'd be in awe of his holiness over it. Notice, a witness. Now here's another interesting thing. I'm going to put over here in this side. Make sure I'm lining it up. There we go. Right here. I'm going to put right here. Testimony to the nations. And that is chapter 4, verses 6. Eight. Their obedience is a testimony to the nations. And notice that you have the two lines. Here's how they're going to react to that. A God so near, which is a big deal. What great nation is there that has statutes and governments as righteous as this whole law that I'm setting before you today? Those two verses there, everybody see 7 and 8? Something very revealing. I brought it up to you for a moment when we covered it earlier, but something really important for you to take a look at. Do you realize that lost people can recognize righteousness? Lost people are not just, I don't know. No, they, they know what's right and wrong. In fact, we're told in Romans chapter 2 that when Gentiles who don't have the law, who by nature, by nature, do what is in the law, do they not testify that the law is written on their hearts? Very interesting to think about. Lost people know. They know the difference between right and wrong. I'm so tired of this whole idea that lost people can't know anything. No, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that whole nations of people who are sacrificing their kids and sleeping with whoever they want to and have a corrupt government going on and whatever else are able to look at Israel and go, whoa, something's way different. Their, 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 their laws are so righteous. They're so, they're so good. They're so right, and they know what right is when they say it. Very important point. So now let's look at verse 9. Does anybody got any questions real quick? I don't just want to be up here jabbering. Does anybody got any questions? Remember, we're going through and we're just talking about what are the dominant themes in this inclusio, okay? From, but the Lord was angry with me on your account, to verse 21, chapter 421, now the Lord was angry with me on your account. What are the big themes that are going on here? So it says here next, verse 9, 
Only give heed to yourselves and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Then Yahweh spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. Notice that, perform. Very important to probably mark that. That is the Ten Commandments, also known as the Ten Words, is what it's more commonly known as in Old Testament times. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you were going over to possess it. Okay. Does anybody see anything interesting all the way down to verse 14? Another history lesson takes place. And where are the verses that the history lesson takes place? 10 through... 10 through 13, so we're going to bracket there, over here on the right-hand side, 10 through 13, and we can just write this down, second history lesson. Now, here's the thing. Before, Moses did not give a history lesson apart from a basic premise. What is the premise that gave way to the history lesson? Remember, notice what he says here. Verse 10, remember the day. Why? Why? Why should they remember? Back up one more verse. Only what? Okay, but what does it say at the very beginning of 9? Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget. Now, let me just ask you this. What does that mean? What does it mean when I if I were to sit here and say, okay, give heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently so that you don't forget. What am I telling you to do? Be mindful of your actions. That's part of it, yeah. But what else? If I'm saying, Roxanne, give heed to yourself because I don't want you to forget about who Yahweh is. Why, why, am, I, why am I warning her? I mean, that's what this is, isn't it? It's a warning. Why does Moses warn them? The danger is they will what? Forget. Now hold on a second. If you're Israel out in the middle of the desert, how can you forget Yahweh? It's, it's possible. How? How? Hunger? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm sleep. We all sound like four-year-olds, don't we? I ain't get my way. Can God supply all things? But we don't believe it in that moment, do we? See how that works? Complacency. God called me to sit. Did he? No. But sometimes you wouldn't know that by looking at the church today, would you? You think we're the best bunch of seat warmers we ever found in our lives. This seat is so warm. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That's not the way it is, is it? It's not any different with them. Let's read verse 9 again. Give heed to yourself. Who's the problem here? Yes, yourself. And keep your soul diligently. Anybody know another name for keep? Another word for keep? Safeguard. Is that what your translation says? Okay, good, good. That's okay. Guard it. Keep it. Put up watch posts. Make sure that you got guys marching in front of your soul to keep you from going down this direction. Why is that? So you don't forget the things which your eyes have seen. Eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But, now stop for just a second. Eyes have seen, 
Eyes have seen is what gives way to the history lesson. The history lesson is when we came out of Egypt and we all gathered at the bottom of Mount Horeb, you heard the voice of God. And it didn't distort like that. But you heard it. You heard God speak. And does everybody remember when we turned to Exodus 20 and we looked at that event in real time, what was the reaction of the people? Fear. Moses, don't ever let Yahweh speak to us again. If he talks to me again, I might die. To hear God speak audibly is to be in fear of losing your life. That's the power of Yahweh. You see what I'm saying? Remember that day when God so marked your mind, when he got your attention that day, and you stood in fear. Your knees were trembling. You didn't know what to do. Your chin was quivering. Remember that day. If that's what it takes to keep you on target with the Lord, remember that day. I get tired of when people are saying, you shouldn't scare people into faith. God is scary. He's real scary if you don't know him. How many people have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, right? You remember there's this one point where Lucy's talking to Mr. Beaver, right? And he, he brings up Aslan. She goes, oh, Aslan, Aslan. Is he safe? The beaver kind of steps back and goes, safe? Safe? No one said anything about Aslan being safe but he's good and he's the king. Everybody see the difference? That's the idea. Is it okay to be scared of God? The word fear the Lord, fear, is not used by mistake. It is okay to fear our God, but to also keep a healthy mind of knowing we're his children. He fights for us, not against us. It is a reverence that should sometimes be found at a loss for words. So then notice you have eyes of seeing is the history lesson. Notice at the end of verse 9, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. There's the legacy lesson. Pass it on. It's the same thing that we saw today. When he overthrows the Egyptians, make this known to your kids so that they make it known to their kids. Let's finish up here. I think Ruth was creeping in the doorway there. It's usually when I know it's time's up, she's all getting shifty in the doorway. Um, so let's read this, verse 14. Let's read 14 through 21 just real quick. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land when you go over to possess it. And I encourage you, statutes and judgments, how does this connect to when you saw statutes and judgments in verse 1? Notice that it's an inclusio inside an inclusio that's inside an inclusio exactly notice how that works you have a triple one going on here so far so um and you can mark that if you want in your own time verse 15 so watch yourselves carefully anybody see the the, the parallels in that everybody see it right give heed to yourself in nine watch yourself in verse 15 notice the connections there see you did not see any form on that day uh, the Lord spoke to you at Horeb in the midst of the fire so that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves. Notice the idea of seeing a form. Is that on? Yeah, okay. So you can see it. See any form, making a grave image. And the whole idea is they both connect to the idea of not acting corruptly. Notice that idolatry is corruption. For yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male and female, this right here is, on earth, right? And those are humans. Verse 17, the likeness of an animal on the earth, the likeness of winged bird uh, that flies, the likeness of anything creeps on the ground, the likeness of fish in the water below. Notice that right here, this little bracket is uh, created things. The idea of animals there, verses 17 and 18. Can't even spell animals. Uh, there we go. 
And notice it. Yeah, more coffee. It says here, verse 19, and beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them, those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the heaven. So notice this right here is created things, but it is celestial in being. Here we go. We see that? Yeah, kind of. Okay, there we go. Okay, verse 20, but... The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and I swore that I would not cross the Jordan, that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Verses 14 through 21 especially need your attention between now and next Sunday for Sunday school something for you to work on in your own time. And let me state this real, real clear so that we understand. Bible study is a discipline. If you don't make time to do it, you won't. I'm sure there's a lot of days we woke up and had the intention of reading our Bibles, and I guarantee you the schedule keeps you from it. You have to, you have to forego doing something else in order to spend time in God's Word. But I promise you this. Time in God's word is never wasted, never wasted. So hopefully this will begin to tickle your brains and hopefully begin to tickle your hearts as well. And uh, good stuff come out of it. We'll pick up with it next week and we'll begin to talk about the chiasm section. Anybody got anything before we wrap up and finish? Thank you guys for being patient. <laughs> the comment was, I know how stupid I am now. That was not the response I was hoping to get from today supposed to do all things for the encouragement of one another but uh okay i don't even know how to answer that let's just pray and the lord will soothe the soul okay god thank you for our time together and father may you be worshiped in spirit and in truth by your people thank you god that you are god to be feared you are terror you are omnipotent you are all-powerful and amazing and yet you love us care for us, are mindful of us, desire intimacy with us. You want to cultivate fellowship with us. And I pray, God, that we take you up on your word and grow in our knowledge of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.